We are in our continued study here, looking at the last of Paul's recorded words here in 2 Timothy to his spiritual protege, his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy. And as we approach this section here, you know, I, I began to think about how as Paul is penning this letter and, and he's writing it from his geographical location in a dungeon, awaiting his execution, knowing these are probably the last things that, that Timothy is going to hear from him as he reads these words written to him. Um, they just take on a certain kind of weight, a different kind of weight. So we're coming to that place here in this letter. But I'd remind you that the words written here to Timothy are not just the words of a spiritual father to a spiritual son. They are that, but they're more than that. And they're not just the words of a mentor to his protege, nor just the words of a, a close friend and ministry companion. Paul is writing these very same things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is Scripture. This is the authoritative Word of God. So we know they're not just for Timothy. And we know they're not just for ministers. And we know they're not just for the church at Ephesus. But they are for us today. They're words that we need to receive. Words that we need to hear and embrace. So as we walk through this today, we're going to see in this passage what he's writing here uh, demonstrates to us the character and virtues of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. There are powerful exhortations here for us to faithfully, to faithfully continue to follow Jesus, to faithfully follow his teaching, and to manifest these very same characteristics and virtues in our own lives. But we're to continue in the faith as we're going to see Paul commanding Timothy here today. To not swerve from the faith. To not follow after what is novel and trendy and faddish or anything that deviates from the true gospel. We need to remain firm in the faith. So we're going to be in the second chapter, uh, second Timothy here, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through verse 17. Hear the words of the living God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured. Yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you continue. In what you have learned. And have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. These are the words of the Lord. I want us to look here at the marks of true discipleship. What it means to be a true disciple. Considering the force uh, of our passage today and what Paul is instructing Timothy here, this stark contrast is drawn from the previous passage that we looked at last week, that previous section at the beginning of the third chapter that characterizes the last days that the church of Jesus Christ finds itself in, times of difficulty. Last days that, that are characterized by this increasing moral and spiritual depravity of false teachers and their followers, their own disciples, of which Timothy is to be radically different from. Certainly different from those mentioned just a few verses before. Consider all of the images that we looked at in chapter 2 that Paul used to describe what characterizes the nature and ministry of of Timothy's ministry as, as as a preacher of God's word. As an elder in the church, as his apostolic delegate, the, the image, images of, of the soldier and the, the farmer and those who, the good worker and the honorable vessels, all of those things were to remind Timothy of the hardship he would face in ministry. But truly, the hardship all of us will face in the course of this, day, of this life because we're in the last days. So Timothy has to stand firm in the faith. And he has to stand firm, even if it means standing alone. Even if if no one else stands firm, and everyone else is, is wandering off into silly myths and endless genealogies, and following after these false teachers, he has to hold fast. He must not deviate. And now he's addressing Timothy's discipleship relationship that he has with the apostle. Notes what he writes there. You, Timothy, however... You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my, my, my. Paul brings to Timothy's remembrance what he had been actively doing thus far. He was following Paul. He was following Paul. He was Paul's disciple. A disciple of the Lord, yes, but but nonetheless, who was his teacher? It was Paul. Who who was it that he was was walking with and ministering alongside with and living with and traveling with and watching and observing? It was Paul. Paul was his teacher. That was the level of their relationship. A disciple and a teacher. What he learned about the faith, who did he learn it from? He learned it from Paul. He was following. And when we consider the word follow, we think of like a puppy following you around, right? Or a little child following you around. But there's so much more to this word. This word follow, that that verb in the Greek means to follow faithfully. In other words, what you're following, you are paying very close and careful attention to with the intent of being able to do the very same thing that you are following. But let's look at what it means to be a disciple. What does Scripture talk about when it means... A disciple, and he uses that term disciple, what is it talking about? Well, we know that a disciple is a learner. 
A disciple is a student, a pupil. That's what the word means. It's one who follows the teachings and instructions of another. In the traditional Jewish understanding of that time, that was the student of a rabbi. The rabbi was the teacher. The rabbi knew the law. The the rabbi had the interpretation of the law and how it was supposed to be fleshed out and lived out in the course of life. So anyone who wanted to follow the teachings of a rabbi would become their disciple. They would many times live with them. Certainly they would follow them around. They would sit under their tutelage, all with the intent of being able to not just take in the teaching of that rabbi, but eventually reproduce that teaching, live it out, and be able to instruct and teach others the teachings of that rabbi. It's the very thing that Jesus instructed his disciples to do. Think of the enormous privilege they had sitting under the teaching of Jesus Christ. But they didn't just listen to him. They were with him all the time, wherever he went, morning to night. They lived with him. They traveled with him. They ministered alongside him. And at the end of the course of his ministry, before his ascension to heaven, what does Jesus command him to do? Go and make more followers, more disciples, teaching them to do all that I have commanded to you. What I've taught you, now you're going to teach others. How you've been discipled, you're going to go now and make other disciples. And that's the very thing that we see happening here. Just as he instructed his disciples to go and sit and learn from him to do it. Now, Paul had taken Timothy under his tutelage. And he had trained him, and now Timothy was to go do the same. At the heart of the discipleship relationship is reproducing what one has been taught by word and examples. So consider now how Paul says, these are my things, my teachings, my conduct, my aim, my faith, my love, my patience. He uses personal pronouns and possessive adjectives to describe these particular characteristics that Timothy has followed. Because these were not abstract concepts that Timothy was made aware of. It wasn't just something Timothy read in a book. These weren't theoretical teachings. These were things that Timothy personally sat under and received. He's personalizing these characteristics and virtues because Timothy had a front row seat to the apostles' teaching ministry. He was able to personally observe Paul's way of life. He traveled with Paul. He sat with Paul. He ate with Paul. He watched Paul's life. He saw how how Paul responded to the different circumstances he found himself in, the different trials that he faced. He ministered closely alongside of him. He was with Paul during some of the most challenging moments of his life. Timothy knew so many intimate details about Paul's life. That was the kind of discipleship relationship that Paul and Timothy were engaged in. Much like when Jesus called his disciples to come and follow him. And what did they do? They left everything. They left everything and committed their lives to be alongside and live alongside Jesus to learn from him. Paul had called Timothy to do the same. We find that in Acts chapter 16. We find Paul going back to Lystra and the disciples there now begin to tell Paul about this young man, Timothy. You got to meet this guy. 
And, and they had raving things to say about him. They were so encouraged by this brother who had such a, a, a good reputation among the saints. So Paul tells Timothy he wants him to accompany him. That means he had to leave his home to go travel with Paul. To minister with Paul and to be with him wherever the Lord was leading him. And Timothy responded to that call. That was the beginning of their discipleship relationship. And there Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy. And Timothy became a spiritual son to Paul in the faith. So now Paul reminds Timothy of what he had come to embrace and live out. And he's outlining in essence for you and me what it means to be a disciple. This is what Timothy is following. In contrast to what the false teachers displayed, Timothy knew what the apostle believed and he knew how the apostle lived. And the contrast between them could not be more profound. Of these false teachers, what do we know? They were lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. The only thing that they loved were things that were not good. And what they should have loved, they didn't. They did not love God. That's the assessment of these false teachers. But now we have something different in Paul. And for sure, Timothy had a different example to follow in Paul. So Paul's saying, hey, this is who they are. This is what they do. This is what they go after. But Timothy, you are not like them because you have followed me. You've seen in me a different example, a different way of living, a different way of of teaching, a different life, a different purpose. True love, not self-love. True faith, not this false faith. Self-control, but not like them who are just going after their own selfish impulses. Timothy had a different example here. So in saying, hey, you followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim in life, Paul's not bragging. I know there's some people who like to brag about how spiritual they are, how awesome they are. That's not what he's doing here. He's not boasting about himself. What he's expressing is how he has lived a life that is consistent with his teaching, unlike those false teachers. And this life, this consistency of life, Timothy was well aware of. So he says, hey, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my teaching. During the course of their relationship, Timothy had learned Paul's teaching. And though he didn't just learn it, he made it his own. He heard the apostles teaching and preaching time and time again. How many sermons did he sit under? How many times was he out there with the, not just the teaching in the synagogue, but, but Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, right? He heard the message over and over again. And that message had now shaped his own theology, his own understanding of the teaching. And what Paul taught, Timothy embraced and believed. He absorbed it. It was as much his as it was Paul's. He made it his own. He followed his teaching. So that any teacher that would come around and now have some newfangled teaching, some new revelation, some new faddish and, or trendish Uh, 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 teaching out there that was being spread amongst the church, Timothy knew the true from the false. He had the apostolic teaching and it was his own. It was his own. He made it his own. So he could reject it. He could renounce it, right? He could speak out against it and call those things out. 
Which is why we continually exhort you to know God's word and to know the gospel. You should desire it as a disciple of Christ. You should love the teaching. You should, you should study it. You should meditate on it. You should absorb it and make it your own. So when you hear something, you'll know if it has the ring of truth or if it's error. Because it's, 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 the teaching's not something out there that you casually listen to. No, you follow it carefully, paying attention to it carefully, and you've made it your own. But it wasn't just his teaching, right? It wasn't just the words Paul spoke that, that Timothy had followed. He said, no, you have also followed my conduct. Timothy was intimately acquainted with Paul's lifestyle. He knew how he lived. And Paul's conduct was unimpeachable. No one could repudiate it. They'd be lying if they did. Unlike the false teachers, Paul walked the talk. Could that be said of us? That it's not just in word, but in deed. People see our life and they're going, you know what? There's harmony there between the two. They're in sync. They are aligned. And, and Paul's teaching and Paul's life perfectly matched up. They were in sync. So what did Timothy do? Not just take in his teaching, but after observing his way of life, he imitated it. He followed after Paul's example. Now we see in several of Paul's letters that he did not hesitate to call the believers to imitate his own life. I don't know how many of us would be so bold, bold as to say the same thing, right? Watch me, and then do what I do. <laughs> Watch me, right? Follow me. Look at me. Look at how I react to things. Look how I interact with people. Look how I treat the other believers. Look how I talk with outsiders. And then go and do likewise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That was the confidence that Paul had, that he was so closely following Christ, that he was so in sync as a true disciple with the, the teachings of Christ and the life that Jesus modeled for his disciples, that he could say, hey, just do what I do, and you're going to be okay. Right? Do what I do. Philippians 3.17. Right? Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me. Watch me. Observe me. You're going to see if we're the real deal. That's how you're going to tell. And if you see others doing exactly what we're doing because they're following our example, then they're the real deal also. That's pretty intense. We're more do as I say, not as I do. Paul's do as I do. And a true disciple of Jesus Christ can say that. Was Paul walking perfectly? No. No, there's only one perfect one. But he was walking so closely with the Lord in obedience to God, fulfilling the call of God in his own life that he could tell people, watch what I do. Watch my life closely. And then, hey, if you do that, it's going to go well with you. His teaching and conduct were a match. Recall the command he had given to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He exhorted him there, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch, teaching and conduct. 
word and deed. They need to be in alignment. And Timothy saw that in Paul. He observed that in Paul so much that he was able to follow his example. But it's not just his teaching, not just his conduct. Timothy also followed Paul's aim in life. You followed my aim in life. He's talking about his purpose. You followed my purpose in life, my mission in life. You walked lockstep with it. And what was Paul's aim in life? What was his purpose? To glorify God, to make Christ known, right? To to proclaim the gospel so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what he lived for. What he ultimately died for and gave his own life for. It was his single-minded devotion that people would know Christ. To reach Jew and Gentile alike. To take the gospel and proclaim it in areas and to people that had not even heard the message yet. Romans 15.20 And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. That was his purpose. That was said, this is my ambition. I don't want to go where just the other apostles have gone and, and preach the gospel. I want to take it everywhere else. And Timothy followed his example. As he traveled with Paul and ministered with Paul wherever the Lord opened the doors for them. We can look at Colossians chapter 1, a, verse, a couple of verses we've read and looked at before that in essence are Paul's mission statement. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Him we proclaim. That was the message, right? Him, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may what? Present everyone mature in Christ. He writes, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. That's His ambition. Proclaim Christ through gospel preaching and then make disciples. And teaching them how to grow up in their faith and mature in their faith. That was his mission. Right? And, and Timothy embraced that. And he made it his own. And if we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, we make that our mission as well. To proclaim Christ. To proclaim the gospel. And you don't have to be a leader to help teach and instruct others how to grow up in their faith. Because you're going to be doing it not just with your word, but also with your life also. It's not just for an apostle to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Every disciple of Jesus should be able to say that. Watch me. I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, to walk closely with him. And, and if you do what I do, you can, you, you, you're going to be doing the same thing. You're going to be living the same way. So he followed him in his conduct and teaching and aim in life. And now Paul lists four, four personal virtues that Timothy also had followed. Four Christian virtues, spiritual virtues, faith, patience, love, steadfastness. Why is he listing these? Are these the only ones? No. This is not a complete list. It's just representative of the spiritual virtues of the Christian life that Timothy had observed in Paul and he was also following after. Right Again, it's about the consistency of his life and teaching that Timothy was following here. Paul's love for God's people was evident in his selflessness, in, in, how, in how he considered others before himself, how he spent himself for the believers, how he didn't consider his life of anything because all he wanted to do was for people to know Jesus Christ. 
Think about the immense love he had for his own people, the Jewish people. When he said in, in Romans chapter 9, I would that I'd be accursed, but, but, but let them be saved. Let them come to the knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. His love, his patience, his faith, his unswerving trust in Christ was beyond question. He lived his whole life by faith. By faith in Jesus. Displaying great patience in dealing with believers. In dealing with unbelievers. In dealing with those who opposed him. You don't find him lashing out a lot. Oh, he had some hard things to say for sure. But generally, that's not his love. Think about his writing to the church at Philippi. To the church at Thessalonica. Think about the great love he displayed, the patience he displayed in dealing with weak believers and wanting them to come to full knowledge and, and maturity in Christ Jesus. How he remained steadfast and persevered under great trials and hardship. All of these things are fruit of the Spirit's work of grace in the life of Paul. Things he displayed over and over again and only someone like Timothy who was walking closely alongside him in every facet of life, getting to observe everything that was going on with Paul. I'm sure there were moments where Paul probably broke down and, and moments when Paul, in, in his humanness, got fed up with something. And, and Timothy was able to observe how he preached the gospel to himself. You know, how he reminded himself of, of what Christ had done for him. And in the midst of trials and hardship, how he would... Would, would strengthen himself by the grace of our Lord Jesus. The same things he would tell Timothy to do in this letter are things that he did himself. Timothy saw it, and he could follow that example. Timothy had followed his teaching, conduct, purpose in life, and his spiritual virtues. How very different was Paul's life and teaching from that of the false teachers. Paul actually practiced what he preached. You, you, you and I all have known people who didn't practice what they preached. You and I have all been those people. No bigger contrast would there be between them, these false teachers, and Paul than the fact that Paul was willing to endure persecution and suffer for what he believed and taught. These false teachers wouldn't do that. They would not be willing to do that. So he goes on to say, here's the other thing you followed. My persecutions and sufferings. Paul, in this, these couple of verses here, reminds Timothy of a memory that no doubt was burned in Timothy's mind. It was of the time of, of persecution that Paul suffered uh, in, in three different cities in the Galatian province. He mentions Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Were those the only areas that we read of in Acts where Paul suffered persecution and suffering? No, they weren't. He encountered that in many different places. But why these three? Well, because Timothy would be sure to remember these. Never forget them. You and I have all have a memory that's burned in our minds. It may have been a tragedy. You know, it might be an event. I, I remember sitting exactly where I was when, when the first shuttle blew up. When I was 16 years old, I was in my lunch period. At Lake Mary High School, I was eating lunch when the principal came over the loudspeaker system to tell us that. Like, that's burning my mind. Some of you were alive during Kennedy's assassination, and you 
remember when that news broke. You probably remember exactly where you were. 9-11 is the next, right? These tragedies, we think, we, I remember exactly. I was sitting at Starbucks with, a pastor, with another pastor and watching those events, right? Those the things are forever burned in our minds. Well, the persecution and suffering that, that Paul endured in these three cities, Timothy was well acquainted with. Now, he wasn't ministering with Paul <clears throat> at that time, but Lystra, Lystra was Timothy's hometown. And Timothy, no doubt, had come to faith under the preaching and ministry of Paul when he was ministering there. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 13, 14, and of course in Acts chapter 16, when he actually gets to meet Timothy for the first time. But what had happened? Well, Paul's preaching in Antioch in Pisidia. And he's chased out of there. They didn't want to hear the message anymore. He's chased out by the Jews there. And so he moves on from that place and he goes to Iconium. And while he's ministering there, he, he's alerted to a plot that there are those who want to now kill him and his traveling companions, Paul and Barnabas. So they flee from Iconium to Lystra. And at Lystra there, he's preaching the gospel. And then what happens to him there? Well, a crowd seizes him and they stone him to within an inch of his life. In fact, they drag his body out of the city, presuming that he's dead, and they leave him to rot outside of the city. That's what happened to Paul in these three Galatian cities there. Now, these disciples probably thought that Paul was dead. And we're going to read it here in Acts chapter 14 here in a moment. And you're going to read here as they're probably just hovering over Paul's body. And they're probably thinking he's dead. I don't know if you've ever been stoned. Not that kind of stoned. Some of you may know what that is. I'm talking about someone taking a rock and bashing it against your head. People throwing rocks and and just one after another at your body. So he was no doubt battered and bloodied on the ground there. Probably his face all swollen. And I can imagine they're thinking he's dead. And all of a sudden, one eye pops open, the other eye pops open. And he's like, hey, sorry guys, I'm not dead yet. It's not my time. Let's go. We got work to do. Look at this, Acts chapter 14. If this doesn't speak to Paul's confidence in what he was called to do by the grace of God, I don't know what else does. Acts 14, 19 through 22. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, those very two cities Paul was before, and now they go stir up trouble for Paul and Barnabas in Lystra. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, what did he do? Did he have a pity party? No, he kept going. He went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city, had made many disciples. What did they do? Did they go further away from that province? No, they go back. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's crazy. We would be like, well, I'm not going back there. <laughs> but I still had the welts and bruises, right? From his stoning. But no, they go back. So think about the boldness, that tenacity, that spirit fueled perseverance. 
in the face of all this persecution and suffering, that left an indelible impression on Timothy, who no doubt was well aware what had happened to him. Knowing that Paul was willing to be beaten to within an inch of his life to make Christ known and for the gospel to be proclaimed in Timothy's hometown. How could he not follow that example? How could he not follow that? Now Paul is going to remind Timothy of a couple of very important things here in concerning this persecution and suffering. The first, Paul reminds Timothy that how, how the Lord rescued him from all of these things, right? All of these persecutions. And not only did God rescue Paul from all of these things, God would rescue Timothy from all persecution as well. Second part of 11, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, interestingly, this is a near quotation of Psalm 34, 19. And in that psalm, David is, is celebrating, in essence, his, his, God's delivering him from his enemies, right? Uh, because God is the ultimate deliverer, de- deliverer. God has demonstrated his delivering of his people time and time again throughout the history uh, of Israel, all throughout the ages. Okay? God's people have had difficulty in this life. It's not a new thing. It wasn't just in the first century. God's people always have had difficulty, have always faced hardship and suffering and persecution. But God has always promised to be with His people, to rescue His people, to deliver them from their troubles in this life. And if it doesn't happen in this life, for sure it will happen in the next. If God doesn't rescue them now from their troubles then he rescues them by bringing them to glory to be with him. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Again, where is he right now? Well, he's in a dungeon. Was he going to be liberated from that dungeon? No. Nope. He, he knew he would not be escaping this in this life. Yet he could still say this. Why? Because he knows on the other side of this, he will receive that unfading crown of glory, and we'll look at that next week. God always rescues his people. Always, always, always. Timothy can remember that, and you and I must remember that. And then he sets the expectation for Timothy. Timothy must be ready to experience this same kind of treatment. The suffering and persecution Paul endures is not unique to him. It's not unique to him. Because he says in verse 12, indeed, all who desire, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. That's every. All who are in Christ Jesus. All who are in union with Christ Jesus. All who desire to live a godly and righteous life as a disciple of Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. Not if, not maybe, but when, will be. The continued activities of false teachers is the reason for this. As he says in verse 13, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The continued activity of false teachers, imposters, charlatans, as they continue on in their business of deceiving others, and, and they're also self-deceived themselves, right? Uh, continuing in their moral deterioration and, and that advancing in their life. They are going to make things difficult for the godly. 
It's inescapable. It's going to happen. The godly will arouse the hatred and hostility of the world. Every time. It's always been that way. It continues to be that way. And it will be that way until the triumphant return of our Lord. A disciple of Christ Jesus must be ready for this. That's why we're going through the pastorals. It's teaching us a lot, but it's teaching us much in this particular book of 2 Timothy of what we can expect before the return of our Lord and what we can expect throughout the entirety of the Christian life. It's warfare. It's warfare. It's times of difficulty. Jesus himself said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's the same thing that Paul continually taught. This is not unique here. What did he, t- what did he even tell them there? We, we read there in Acts chapter 14 as he goes back to these three cities. And he's strengthening the souls of the disciples and strengthening their faith. He goes through many tribulations. Will we enter? Now, you're not going to enter because of tribulation. He's not saying, well, the pathway to salvation is you suffering. No, no, no. He's just saying the reality is, on your way to the future salvation that's yours in Christ, there will be many tribulations. But he also wrote this, because again, he's a a living example of what what he's teaching. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2-4. And he writes, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined... For this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. What happened? The believers there in Thessalonica were just turmoil. The the hearing about how the apostles were being persecuted and suffering, how they themselves were experiencing some type of persecution and affliction. And Paul's now reminding them through Timothy, who was sent here to them here, This is the way it's supposed to be. We were destined for this. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. We're going to suffer persecution and affliction. Now, will we all suffer like Paul? No. It's possible in our lifetime, if we remain here, we're not going to maybe be killed for our faith here. Some have. It's not the general way persecution happens for us here. That doesn't mean we're not going to be persecuted. The persecution may take on more subtler forms uh, in our life, but it's persecutions nonetheless. If you desire to live a godly life, all who desire to live a godly life, which should be every believer, will be persecuted. Mockery, condescension, rejection, marginalization, being ignored, being canceled, made fun of. Being put out by family. All of these things are persecutions. Think about when we face the pressure to compromise, which is enormous in our culture. But what happens when we don't compromise? Well, there's another kind of pressure that comes. That's a pressure of opposition. Not only do you have to stand firm on the front end of that, you have to stand firm on the other side of that. We need to be ready for that. We need to hold fast and stand firm knowing 
that this is what we can expect. These are times of difficulty. A true disciple of Christ manifests these characteristics and virtues. Our walk must match our talk. It has to be reflected in our lives, brothers and sisters. It has to be. What we profess must manifest in our conduct, speech, and manner of living. Every single one of you here, every one of us, how we live out our Christian faith influences other believers for better or worse. It doesn't have to be an official discipleship relationship. Oh, this is the person I'm discipling in the Lord. But sometimes this is how we think about it. No, but we're all watching each other's lives. I for sure am watching how you're living your life. And I'm sure you're watching how I live my life. And you're watching how other believers here live their life. And how we respond to things in life. How we deal with things. Our, whether we have zeal for the Lord, passion for the Lord, for the lost, for worship, for prayer, for God's word. Right? All of that stuff is being observed over and over again. And for sure we're probably encouraging each other with our words in the teachings of Christ and following in his teachings. But we're also, by our life, showing things to people whether we believe these things or not. Whether this is an ongoing reality in our own life so that while we may not say these words to people, hey, watch me and do what I do, well, there are some people who are watching and will do what you do. And you need to pay careful attention to your own life and teaching as well. Can people see in you the marks of a true disciple? Consider that. But he goes on from here. Disciple just doesn't follow. He's not just following Christ and his teachings. A disciple also continues in those. Verse 14, but as for you. Notice at the front end he said, you, however. And now he's saying, but as for you. You, Timothy, because this is how he's different. And this is how he is to be different from those in the earlier passage. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. As for you, Timothy, do not get caught up with those saying the new and flashy and trendy faddish teachings. Don't chase after them. Hold your ground. Stand firm from what you've learned and what you've wholeheartedly believed, accepted, received, embraced, because you know from whom you've learned it. Now, who is he talking about there? He's talking about himself primarily. That's, that's all that this has been about, right? You have followed me faithfully. As I have followed Christ faithfully, you followed me faithfully. Now continue to follow me faithfully. That word continue means to remain. Right? To remain, to abide in, to, to stay, to continue in a certain state. He's not telling him to move on. From what he has believed and what he's learned. No, he says you need to stay in that. Remain in that. Continue in it. Evil imposters will go from bad to worse. But Timothy has to remain in what he's learned and believed. Now John, the apostle of the Lord, repeatedly exhorts in his own letters uh, of these same things. In 1 John chapter 2.24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son 
and the Father. This is a critical, foundational, and important element to our faith. It's not just learning teaching. It's not just following it. It's remaining in it. Remaining in it. For uh, 2 John 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Boy, that's the mark of a true disciple. Are they remaining in it? Anyone on the front end can say, yes, I believe. Yes, I embrace. Yes, I receive the teaching. But if they don't remain in it, were they a true disciple? Were they truly of Christ? Were they truly in Christ? Well, they didn't abide. Abiding is the telltale sign. It's the evidence. Timothy is to remain unmoved from what he first believed. Firmly believed. Not a casual belief. Steadfast, firm belief. And he gives him two reasons why he must continue in what he learned and what he believed. The first is what he learned and believed is valid because of whom he learned it from. It's valid because Paul was his teacher. Paul was his teacher. He knows him. He knows from whom he learned it. And he faithfully followed his teacher. Who demonstrated it in life and in practice. A consistency of, of words and deeds. And what he learned from Paul and what he observed in the life of Paul, that is the grounds or one of the grounds of Timothy's confidence now. Paul's teaching was authoritative, right? He's an apostle of the Lord, right? And everything about his life lined up with that teaching. So now Paul could say, continue because you've seen it here. This is whom you learned it from. This is what you observed and you've seen my life. How it lines up. The second is his grounding from childhood in Scripture. That's the second reason he gives him. 15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's he saying here? Not only have you learned my teaching that I've received from the Lord, you have also been familiar from childhood with the Old Testament Scripture. Okay? We already saw from the opening of the letter that he had a grandma and a mom of faith. They were women of sincere faith. No doubt he was taught the scriptures from a young age. Remember, he's, he's half Jewish. His father was a Gentile. But his mother and grandmother were Jewish. So what did he learn? What does every young, young boy learn as a Jew? He learns the teaching, the Torah, the instruction, the scripture. He knew it. He had memorized large portions of it. He understood it. He was familiar with it. And what he learned from God's word from childhood and what he learned from Paul were in complete harmony. There wasn't anything different. It was the very same thing. Paul's teaching is in harmony with the very scripture he was taught and believed and he must remain faithful to that. Why? Well, because everything he read there Everything he heard from Paul, everything in the Old Testament Scripture is necessary to make one wise unto salvation. For everything in Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Old Testament Scripture, apostolic teaching, give the necessary revelation and instruction for salvation. Notice, it is through faith in Christ Jesus. You will not find salvation any other way. Not all roads lead to God. 
Not all roads lead to salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. And how will you know that? Through the word. Through the proclamation of apostolic teaching, the gospel. Through faith in Jesus Christ. What the Old Testament foreshadowed about God's rescue was fully revealed and fully made manifest at the coming of Christ. So all of the Bible focuses its its attention on Christ. Isn't that what we find, find Jesus doing with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? What does he do? He opens the scripture to them. What scripture? Well, it wasn't apostolic teaching because that wasn't around yet. It was the Old Testament scripture. And he showed them everywhere, everything concerning himself. That's me. That's me. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That, 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 everywhere. Right? We talked at the beginning of the year, right, as we went through some biblical theology to understand how the scripture as a unified whole points to Christ. He's the hero of it, not us. So Timothy can have complete confidence to continue in what he has learned and firmly believed because he could see how it all fit together now. What Paul said, what he was familiar with, were unified, were in harmony. Everything culminated with Christ. And only through Christ can salvation be found. Do you believe that? The gospel we have believed we must remain in and not be moved from it. We don't ever move beyond the gospel, brothers and sisters. We say it time and time again. And we say it because our tendency is to forget. And there are voices out there who, like we've talked about, got a new take, a new angle, a new prophecy, a new revelation. I saw this, I got this, I heard a voice, I went in a trance, and, and then you're like, man, gosh, I don't see any of that here. It's not here. It's certainly not saying the same thing. Well, what do we do with that? Toss it in the trash. That's exactly right. Good answer. You have been trained well. Now, lastly... Paul's going to assert two fundamental truths concerning Scripture that are important for us as as true disciples of Jesus. We have to embrace these foundational principles to continue in the faith. What does he write there? All Scripture is breathed out by God. So that first truth is about Scripture's origin. Scripture is divinely inspired. We talk about the inspiration of Scripture. What do we mean by that? Well, it tells us right here. All Scripture, not some... All Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, right, is breathed out by God. Now, we studied these two verses, so I'm not going to go in great depth here in our series at the beginning of the year. But every word in your Bible is God-breathed. All of it. All of it. All Scripture is exhaled from the mouth of God. What does that mean? The Bible, right, the words there you see are from one and only one divine author. There aren't many authors. There aren't many writers. There's one divine author. Scripture is divinely inspired. It's not of human origin. But, but weren't there men who wrote this? Well, let's look at that quickly. Second Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21. Peter, the apostle of the Lord, Lord writes, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now, what's he mean there? Well, we have the law and the prophets, right? The Old Testament scripture. But we know that was not the full revelation, was it? It pointed to the fuller and complete revelation, which was Christ, right? We have that now more fully confirmed, more fully confirmed. 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Do not ignore apostolic teaching is what he's saying here. The gospel, the full revelation of Jesus Christ. Because everything that the law and the prophets talked about, right here he is. It's Jesus. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So those prophets that were writing about the coming Messiah and the coming salvation and the coming deliverance and rescue, they weren't making this up. They they didn't conjure this up in their own imagination. They were not writing a fiction account. They were carried along by the Spirit of God. It didn't originate in the will of man, right? Now, the Spirit used the natural voices of these writers, but He superintended every single one of their words. How? I don't know. He's God. He carried them along to to, to the degree where we cannot say they wrote Scripture. It's God who wrote Scripture. It's His Scripture. It's His words. It was the Spirit of God. That means your Bible is a supernatural book. Supernatural words, divinely inspired, and therefore completely authoritative. There are no more important words than what you have in your hands. In this book that you must abide in. Do you have this high view of Scripture? I can tell you there's a lot of Christians who don't. They don't see the Bible as completely inspired and divinely inspired. They'll say, well, only the words in red are divinely inspired. It's only those, that was the words of Jesus. Got news for you, they're all the words of Jesus. All of them. May as well have a whole Bible printed in red. In fact, that's a great business idea right there. (laughs) Someone's probably done that already. (laughs) That's not original. But uh, your whole Bible should be then in red because he's the word. He's God. He's breathed out by his divine lungs. And that's what we have here today. God's word will make the ground of your continuance in the faith firm and rock solid. So you need to hear God's word. How do you hear God's word? Read God's word. Read God's word. So what's the second truth here? The second truth has to do well, he had his origin. The second truth has to do with Scripture's purpose. Scripture is totally sufficient. For he goes on to write, and profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What does that word profitable mean? It means beneficial. When you think of profit, we think of earning something. But really, it means it's beneficial. It's advantageous. It is useful. God's word is useful to do what? To instruct believers in everything concerning our faith and what God desires for us to know and believe. How else will we know that? How how else would would we know what, what pleases God, what he expects from us? We have to know his word. That's where he tells us. God's word is useful. In in exhorting us to right and holy living. God's word is useful in training us to conform to God's righteous standard. God's word is sufficient for all these things and so much more. 
That's when you abide in God's word and you continue in it and you take it into your life. You believe it, you receive it, you meditate upon it, you absorb it. It will shape your belief. It will shape your practice. It will shape your lifestyle. The result of that, look what he writes here. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, he writes here, if you continue in the word, if you live by the word, you're going to be built up. You're going to be equipped and matured for every good work that God has called you to do. What does that tell us? What is the chief means that God uses to bring us to maturity? It's his word. It will not happen apart from it. No Christian will grow in their faith apart from God's word. No Christian will grow up into Christ Jesus, into maturity in Christ. Without the word of God, it will not happen. Now, he's writing here, and we read that word, man of God. Well, we know he's writing to Timothy, who's a minister, an apostolic delegate, an elder at the church at Ephesus, right? So this is certainly applicable to elders and pastors and those who preach and teach and those who lead and have responsibility in the church. But we already know this. It also applies generally to every believer, every single disciple of Jesus Christ. The word of God makes you into a man or woman of God. That's how it happens. That's how we grow up. So are you continuing to learn from God's word? Is it growing you? Is it maturing you? Because you're continuing in it. Do you receive it as God's authoritative word instructing you in all matters of faith, life, and practice? Guys, we've been given this precious, timeless, sacred word of God. To show us everything we need to know about God. And how to live for God. And how to grow into Christian Maturity, and the only way that's going to happen is if we continue in it. If you remain in the word, it will work in you and produce the characteristics and virtues of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It won't happen apart from that. When we were brought into union with Christ through his redemptive work, you and I were summoned into a life of discipleship. I grew up in a, in a weird faith where... Um, you had this, you came to faith in Christ, but you weren't really a disciple. Right? It was like a second stage thing. Like, that was like the next level, you know, of your Christian walk. Well, you've received Christ, but are you a disciple? And what you don't see in the apostolic teaching is a bifurcation of those two terms. No, to be in the faith and in Christ makes you a disciple. Why? Because you've been summoned, you've been called by virtue of being called to Jesus Christ. To be his disciple. It's not something you do later. It's not something that is optional for you. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I follow Jesus, but I'm not, you know, that follower thing. That's for the really hardcore believers. We may not say it like that, but sometimes we live our life that way. And sometimes we have those kind of beliefs in mind. But no, we were summoned to a life of discipleship. Why? He's our teacher. We're learning from him. It's his teachings. Right? The, the, the apostles' teaching, it's not their own. We know they didn't come up with it. It's Christ's teaching. They're just reproducing that and instructing other disciples in what Christ has instructed them. That means if we're his disciples, you and I need to hang on to every one of his words. We need to love those words. We need to love his teaching. 
We need to look at the example in the life of Christ and, and desire that ourselves. We need to look at, at, at what the apostles taught concerning that and, and say, this is what I want for my own discipleship in my own walk with the Lord. So do you love his words? If so, hang on to them. Savor them. Delight in them. Meditate upon them. Memorize them. And for sure, live them out. Only he has the words of life. Only his word can make one wise unto salvation. <clears throat> you cannot find that anywhere else. So are you trusting him for salvation today? Are you standing firm in the gospel? Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. My prayer is that the Lord would equip you by his grace to walk in his footsteps. The footsteps of your master as you remain in his word. And may he equip you to be a man or woman of God.